This is the In Focus podcast from the Hindu. Hello and welcome to the In Focus podcast. I'm G Sampath, your host for today's episode. Tennis fans who watched the French Open semi-final last week between Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal considered it one of the greatest contests they have seen in a long time. The match, pitting the world's number one player against the greatest clay court player the game has ever seen, was a feast of high-quality tennis. While a great deal has been written about the historic nature of Djokovic's victory, we still don't have clear answers as to what tactics and strategies went into the making of this near impossible victory for the world number 1 after all starting with roger federer nearly every top player of the past decade has thrown everything and the kitchen sink at nadal and failed to break his supremacy at the french open which he has won 13 times losing just twice in more than 15 years for a better understanding of how djokovic constructed his triumph over, over nadal and what it means for the greatest of all time or goat debate as they call it we have with us uh, sanjeev kasal sanjeev is a winner of five national tennis championship seniors titles and six international tennis federation seniors titles he has been a commentator and interviewer at the commonwealth games the 2012 london olympics the, the 2013 french open and many of india's davis cup matches sanjeev welcome to the in focus podcast Thank you so much uh, Sampath uh, great glad to be here Uh Sanjeev why let me start with the personal question I mean beating Nadal at the French Open is considered one of the toughest challenges not just in tennis but ac- but across all sports and as someone who's been following and playing the game so closely I mean what what were your expectations what chance did you give Djokovic before the semi final began and what was the result you were expecting well first of all uh, sampath i must say that uh, as you just correctly pointed out that this was one of the great sporting moments uh, if if not in just in tennis in sports i mean one of the uh, the greatest sporting feats uh, something like you can say uh, mohammad ali beating uh, joe fraser in that thriller in manila Uh, or beating Foreman in that rumble in the jungle at uh, in Zaire, uh, not just tennis, as I said. So coming back to uh, Djokovic and Nadal, I personally wasn't really that surprised because uh, let us not forget, Djokovic has beaten uh, Nadal eight times on clay. So while Nadal is a dominating player on the surface, uh, you. you can't ever rule out djokovic i mean the fact that he's beaten nadal at the french in 2015 uh played some epic matches i mean he's played a five setter with him and i think in the semis in 2013 um at the french again uh, and as i said earlier he's beaten him eight times so so it wasn't really a big surprise to me uh i would have gone into this match uh, somebody asked me look what are the odds i would have said 60 40 in favor of nadal but i wasn't shocked let's put it this way 
Okay, okay. So you you have you have of course pointed out that Djokovic has beaten Nadal earlier, maybe eight times, and they've played some close matches. But but if you look at the immediate uh, uh, time frame and look at their form, I mean, just just a few weeks before they met at the semi-final, uh, Nadal and Djokovic played each other at the Rome Masters final in May, and Nadal won that sound five one six six three. So if we compare that match which Nadal won. Uh, to the French Open semi-final, which took place just a few weeks later. I mean, what did Djokovic do differently in terms of uh, strategy or tactics, which enabled him to uh, pull off this historic win? Uh, I don't really think he did a whole lot differently uh, than what he did at the Italian or uh, what he's been doing against Nadal uh, after so many years. They played each other millions of times. I mean, let's face it, uh, they're... They have a phenomenal rivalry. They're just a year apart and in age. Uh, so they know exactly their strengths and weaknesses against each other. And, and I, I don't think there was some marked difference in, in the way Djokovic uh, responded against Nadal at the French. Uh, basically, don't forget, the Italian was a best of three. So there's a huge difference between a best of three and a Grand Slam match, which is best of five. So you have a lot more chances of coming back in a five-setter. Uh, having said that, just to give you a little bit of an input from my end as to what strategy he would have followed, basically, when you play Rafa on clay, you have to take uh, time away from him. So he would have uh, uh, pinned Nadal at the baseline, kept it deep, given him less time. So if, if you're taking time away, he doesn't have the luxury of uh, hitting that big, huge swinging forehand and backhand. And by attacking his backhand, if you might have noticed uh, uh, in that match, he predominantly played at Rafa's backhand side simply because he, Rafa, you know, Rafa can't create the kind of winners from the backhand as he does from the forehand. And at any time that you're short uh, in terms of your ball being midcourt, uh, Rafa's the best player on clay or in most surfaces, he would just run around and uh, convert it into a forehand winner. So, the key thing for Djokovic was, and, and, and as I said, it's not just at the French and not just this particular match, in all their matches, and especially on clay, taking time away, pinning him to the baseline and not allowing him to dominate on the forehand side. Okay. So, but why were uh, other players not able to do do this? Uh, many, I'm sure many people would have figured it out. Many coaches would have figured it out. This is what one needs to do to, to beat Nadal uh, at, at the Roland Garros. Why were why were other players not able to do it, and, and more importantly, why was Djokovic not able to do it, say last year or in Rome, for that matter, in many other many other occasions? Well, if you talk about other players, you got to look at a simple word called competence. I mean, at the end of the day, it's how competent are you to do what you need to do, or what you you feel that you should do, and and what your coaches are telling you. So you you eventually have to execute. You know the game plan, but can you do it? Now, Djokovic is obviously not number one for nothing. So, on this particular day and in the times, uh, the eight times that he's beaten Rafa over or on, on, on the dirt, he obviously has done something right and he's executed better. You were talking about the Italian uh, Open. He probably uh, didn't execute as well as he did the French. So, it's all about execution on that given day. Okay. Okay, so what what went wrong in the first set that that he went down zero uh, five, and uh, that must have really been uh, I don't know for, for for normal mortals it must have been nightmarish given that it was a replay of what happened in the previous uh, 
US French Open as well, where he lost the first set 0-6. And, uh, and to come back from that and then dominate uh, must have been really, uh, uh, really, uh, really tough. Like, how, how do you view this uh, comeback and what do you think changed after 0-5? See, he had a bad start for sure, uh, just as he did the previous year where he was, uh, I think, lost the first set 6-love or 6-1. Had a very poor start. I thought he went for too many drop shots, uh, in my humble opinion, uh, the previous year. But uh, I don't think he was settled in. He didn't get the rhythm going. But look, Sampath, at the end of the day, it's just one set. And yeah, you've got a drubbing at 6-love, but you've got to pass, uh, uh, pass that or rather put that into your, uh, you know, literally in the back burner and say, look, this is just one set. It's history now and move on. And like in most sports, and I always say this for tennis players, you must have the shortest memory. While it's very depressing and, and it can get you down, and it, look, God, I've lost six love or uh, I've really been thrashed in this particular set. It's just one set. So when you're world number one and you're a player of... Uh, the standard of a Novak Djokovic, you have to move into a new set as a brand new set. And a five set allows you to do that. And that's exactly what he did. Right, right. So after this uh, like tremendous victory over Nadal, uh, Djokovic came out sort of very flat against uh, Sissipas in the final. I mean, uh, technically, uh, what do you think changed between the first two and the last three sets? Because I mean, we thought the semi-final was great. But the final turned out to be like uh, even more uh, kind of engrossing in its ups and downs. I mean, as unpredictable, perhaps, if not more. I mean, what do you think happened between the first two and the last three sets? And was there anything Sitsipas could have done differently uh, to change the outcome, especially given that he's much younger and probably uh, has more reserves of energy compared to Doko, which was coming from a draining match earlier? See, uh, Sampath. Uh Sitsipas, when he started that match, he was playing out of his skin, the first two sets. And there's not a whole lot that Djokovic could do right. Or rather, he was just dominated by uh, the Greek. I think what happened in the last three sets, as it does with most players, especially somebody playing in his first slam, you're getting close to victory. And you have the fear of winning, just as you have the fear of losing in, in most sports. But the fear of winning is also there. You're, you're getting close... And something doesn't go right in your mind and uh, your opponent breaks you as Novak did in that third set. And it starts playing on your mind. So I think a lot of this is mental as well. I think uh, Sitsipas uh, couldn't execute as well in the third set. And Novak got that break. And that was uh, the momentum changer for Novak. The fact that he got that break, he had a good shot at the third set. He won that. And that turned things around. But Sitsipas's self-belief uh, got diluted. And I think, like in most sports, the matches are really won between uh, between the years. And Novak is the best player, in my opinion, uh, along with Nadal. Can't take that away from Rafa. They're the two best players mentally in the history of tennis. So you had a resurgent uh, Novak coming in into the fourth set. And the fifth is again mental, but I think... I think Sitsipas was by that time what had gone away quite a bit because he was just uh, mentally disturbed by what he was seeing coming at him from Raf, uh, from sorry from Novak's side, and I think it was just a, a question of time that Novak was going to just clinch that match, and that's exactly what happened. 
while it's true of course that uh, Tsitsipas did play out of his skin in the first two sets but didn't you think didn't it appear to you that Novak was playing rather flat I mean he didn't have that intensity he didn't have that energy uh, which he had in the previous match and in the last couple of sets uh, in the final see he didn't I don't think he played uh, bad tennis in the first couple of sets uh, I think he was just dictated to by Tsitsipas. Uh, Tsitsipas, as I said earlier, played out of his skin. So there's not a whole lot you can do. And and at the end of the day, you play as well as your opponent allows you to. So it's not like Novak was totally off the radar. It was Tsitsipas who was uh, dominating. And, you know, you can just uh, play and watch and say, look, this guy's just on uh, on song. There's not a whole lot I can do. And and he did that. He just, just went through the motions and came back in the third. So... Was Sitsipas able to maintain that level that he did in the first two sets? It's always tough in a five-setter. At some point, your opponent's going to get an opportunity. And that's exactly what happened. And uh, Novak turned things around. So to answer the question, I don't think that uh, Djokovic uh, played poor tennis. He just wasn't allowed to play because it's as well as he normally does, simply because uh, uh, the Greek was... He was just playing phenomenal uh, tennis and from both flanks, hitting those winners and uh, serving very well. I remember I remember in the first or second set, I think it was the first set, he served three aces uh, in one of those games. Right. And to serve three aces on clay, that's very difficult. It's a slow surface. Uh, to just get the ball that far out from your opponent's reach, that's really difficult. I, I, I don't know when I last saw three, surface, uh, three aces in a row on, on, on a clay court. Right. So you spoke about how uh, Novak and Rafa are so mentally strong and so on. But coming back to the question of uh, tactics, one of the tactics in the final uh, which has been commented upon widely was uh, Novak deliberately slowing down his first serve in the fifth set against Tsitsipas, bringing it down to 140 kilometers per hour from its normal range of around 182. I mean, not many players would risk weakening their first serve uh, in a crucial uh, final set. And it's a risky uh, move. So, how did this tactic help Djokovic, uh, according to you? And why didn't, or why wasn't Sitsipas able to take advantage of a weaker first set? While watching that match, I didn't really, uh, in a very clear manner, notice the change in pace on that first serve. Uh, now that you've asked me that question, the only explanation I can give is it was probably done to keep a higher percentage of his serves in. Uh, that's one. And as I said earlier, Serves are pretty neutralized. Uh, uh, it serves are normally neutralized on clay simply because you don't hit that many aces. But perhaps it could have been because uh, he wanted to engage in longer rallies with Sissipas uh, just to see how good uh, his legs were. That's the Greek's legs. And just just to, uh, as I said, uh, keep him in long rallies and uh, tire him out. That's the only uh, thought I have. Okay, you don't think Sissipas could have uh, sort of leveraged uh, the reduction in speed in any particular way? There wasn't that much of a scope for him to do much because of Djokovic's uh, stronger or uh, strong ground strokes. I don't think he could have leveraged much on in that fifth set. I, I think Sissipas did everything he could. Uh, you're playing Djokovic, who's, as I said earlier, mentally perhaps the greatest player in the history of the sport or all sports uh, amongst the top, at least uh, when you look at everything else going on out there. Um, I don't think the Sitsipas could have done much. Could he Could he have uh, wiped out uh, the 
previous two sets and gone into the fifth and looked at it as just a one set match uh, which is obviously was uh, not easy to do a lot of players don't find it easy after they blow a uh, a two set advantage to play the fifth set mentally as just a one set match because to be in the present which is what uh, which is what yoga and what uh, the life in india teaches you that listen just look at the here and now i don't think i don't think that's uh, that's easy to do and that is something which uh, i admire novak uh, for because he's able to, and i've seen this over so many years in matches where he's uh, lost crucial points lost a set when he was serving for the match and he's blocked it out and come back and played a stunning fifth set and won so i don't think sitsipas could have done much have you seen other players who were able to do this as well stay in the present and you know in a fifth set look at it as a one set game and so on I mean, is it a common thing in the circuit or other is it able to do it i think the mental coaches certainly teach you that and i think the mental coaches uh, for the top players definitely try to get them uh, to block everything out um as i said to you earlier in one of your question that look uh, a tennis a tennis player should have the shortest memory so yes certainly i think some of these players can do it i know i've seen nadal do it umpteen number of times i'm sure federer's done it uh, millions of times as well but it's not easy it's easier said than done when you're actually there it plays on your mind but certainly these three players federer nadal and djokovic are very good at that particularly nadal and djokovic right now uh this win uh, over nadal on his home turf as it were and and a 19th french open title uh, does this tilt the old debate of who is the greatest of all time in dokovic's uh, favor because so far it was largely dominated by federer and nadal and so there's the whole camp of followers who believe federer deserves to be the greatest because of the pure aesthetic value of the way he approaches tennis in a, in a power game era and of course nadal camp is also there but now does it doesn't it seem certain that djokovic will win more grand slams than either of them and probably uh, federer could probably be pushed to third place perhaps what are you, what are your thoughts on this see to start with i've never been in favor and never supported this uh, debate on goat when they make an assessment about the greatest player of all time i find it pretty unfair because uh, there's something the media has got into in a big way and the public it gives them something to talk about over a beer but if you just look at tennis uh, the tennis greats over the years it's unfair to them i mean you look at don baju won uh, the grand slam in 1938 you look at rod laver who won the grand slam twice that's the four majors in one year in 1962 and 1969 i mean those are phenomenal achievements you look at what pancho gonzales was as a player you look at leo hoard unfortunately uh, had to cut short his career due to back uh, back injury you look at sampras 14 slams you look at uh, um who else i mean look there are so many of these great greats from the earlier eras i i think it's unfair on them simply because uh, they had different equipment the game hadn't evolved to where it's today they the nutrition was different uh the coaches not everybody had coaches not everybody had managers not everybody had these agents not everybody had um these ice baths after matches to recover for the following match so the game has evolved so much that these three as great as they are and they're certainly the greatest in this era 
uh, and certainly amongst the greatest ever. But they have also enjoyed the evolution of the sport to this stage uh, of where tennis is to to be backed up with all these uh, uh, these advantages which I just cited. So I think it's unfair to say that uh, uh, or even talk about this goat uh, element. I, I would just say that look, the best way to talk about goat or who's the greatest or uh, this topic is. to simply state that look these players were the greatest in their eras and certainly federer nadal and djokovic are the greatest players in their eras and certainly amongst the greatest ever in this sport but to bring it down to the uh, to the point where look djokovic is the greatest or nadal or federer are the greatest i i think that's pretty futile um And, and yes, I think do I do think that Djokovic, if he's healthy and focused as he certainly is right now, he should he should cross uh, Federer's record. And we'll have to see what Nadal does. We'll have to see how he responds to uh, to the competition out there uh, after this defeat, because uh, he's lost on his favorite surface. Grass is not his favorite surface, though he's won Wimbledon twice. We'll just have to see that. And and neither of them are getting younger. But but I I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't really dive too much into uh, this debate of the greatest player of all time. Right, fair enough. I guess uh, the game has evolved so much, as you rightly pointed out, that one needs to be really careful about uh, making comparisons and then you know, making judgment calls based on those comparisons uh, over such a long period of time. Uh, you also spoke about how these three respond to competition. Now that brings up another imp- imp- interesting question. many thought that 2021 might be the year when the next generation of players you know would sort of break the dominance of the big three especially in the grand slam players such as tsitsipas azverev medvedev but they have again flattered to deceive so to speak when how much longer do you think the big three will continue to rule before the young turks as if they start winning grand slams on a more regular basis i don't think much longer uh if you look at the fact that uh team won the US Open uh, the last US Open of course very well helped by the fact that Djokovic was uh, disqualified if you recollect exactly. numbers exactly that, that's a, that's a big factor which should always be there when we think of teams uh, right the US Open win last year yeah uh, but but that it's a very sporadic victory i mean how how often do you see these the uh, young turks as you call them winning on a regular basis uh, but i to respond to your question i would say that it's not Uh, far off i i do think that that they will be coming in soon and they will be winning more slams but i would give jokovic uh, more longevity i think he'll be there for the next 2 3 years uh, i don't frankly give federer much more time he doesn't even play too many events he's had two knee surgeries uh, he's he's uh, pacing himself as well as he can in terms of getting ready for the grass court season as you notice he withdrew uh, after three rounds uh, uh, at the french so it's all to just preserve himself i don't see him going much uh, deeper after this year in terms of uh, playing a lot of uh, tennis events nadal and djokovic i i would still give them a couple of more years uh, but i think they'll be especially nadal i, I think he'll be uh, less of a factor when he's playing the rest of the players but djokovic i i would give him i would give him the edge over nadal in terms of being there 2 uh, 3 years uh, longer but dominating the sport as they've done in the past at the end of the day i don't see that happening uh, each time 
uh, a year passes simply because they're getting older. So the young Turks are definitely going to come in simply by virtue of the fact that they're younger, they're fitter, they are hungrier. But Djokovic should have another couple of years. He may not dominate it like he's done in the last uh, year or two, but he will be winning more slams. Right. Uh, Sanjeev, my last question uh, for this episode. You have interviewed all all, all of the big three, Nadal, uh, Federer and Djokovic. I mean, I'm curious to know what is your personal impression, your opinion of three players. I mean, of the three, for instance, Djokovic seems to be, at least in my uh, reading, the least popular uh, on the circuit. He's perceived to be arrogant, short tempered, and so on. How justified is the perception that he's not widely liked? And how much does this really uh, I mean, even matter if you are an all-time great, as he seems to be? Okay. That's an interesting question, Sampas. I I don't think that uh, I would call uh, Djokovic the least popular or disliked. In fact, I think he's very misunderstood by uh, the public. because Simply because in the past, uh, there's been a Nadal camp, there's been a Federer camp. And Nadal, uh, Nadal and Federer have just dominated our minds and our hearts. And you're a lover of uh, Roger Federer, or you're, a, you're you're somebody who admires Nadal's tenacity. So there's there's simply been this uh, uh, bias towards these two players. And don't forget, they they were dominating the sport, the two of them, before Djokovic came along. And because they're etched in everybody's uh, memories. People tend to stick to them. And of course, Federer, we all know how uh, smoothly he plays and, and, plays and uh, how much he he's loved as a player because he's a, he's, he's just a great stroke player. But I, I wouldn't be uh, going as far as to say that Djokovic is not likable. I think, as I said, he's misunderstood. He's actually one of the most likable tennis players out there amongst the players, amongst his peers, whether it's a locker room or privately, uh, socially. It's just that he's very vocal. He's very spontaneous. He speaks his mind. He doesn't mind being controversial. Um, whereas Samperson, uh, sorry, what am I saying? Samperson. Federer Nadal, on the other hand, are very uh, politically correct. So when you have Roger Federer uh, in the press conference or you have Roger Federer after a uh, a match in his post-match uh, uh, question and answer session on court. They'll always say the right things. They'll just, you know, just be polite and uh, not. They won't want to upset the apple cart. Whereas Djokovic would say something, as I said earlier, spontaneous, and and he wouldn't mind that. Look, uh, uh, this might uh, upset a few people. So, so to me personally, I uh, I like Djokovic's attitude. Uh, to, to the sport and the way he responds to uh, the public. And that's not everybody's cup of tea. But uh, uh, that's not the way everybody looks at it, obviously, because that's the reason they, they have these camps, as I said. But all three, let me just finish this by saying that all three are wonderful guys. They're great for the sport, obviously different in character. Uh, and and uh, that's what makes it interesting. Uh, uh, Federer, as we know, he, he speaks six languages, uh, uh, great sense of humor, very polite, very Swiss. Uh, Rafa, again, one of the nicest guys out there, uh, very popular with his peers. Uh, but unfortunately, with, with Rafa, you you have to interview him in Spanish and understand Spanish to really appreciate what he has to say. Because 
he's somebody who's thinking in Spanish and responding in English. So, so I think we lose a lot in the translation. Uh, Djokovic obviously speaks uh, excellent English and several other languages. Uh, so he he's somebody who who responds to uh, to an interviewer and the public can see more of him. So Rafa, we lose somewhere, as I said, in the translation. But they're all three great guys. Right. I mean, I think uh, there's no doubt that uh, tennis fans and those who love the sport are indeed blessed to be uh, living in the same age as them and getting to watch the contest between the three of them. Uh, Sanjeev, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and insights uh, on these matters. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. My pleasure as well. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.